on the planet. Okay, so is this simply a matter of, of overpopulation? Do we blame it on the, the numbers? Yeah, our, our population is a concern, but it's not actually as much of a concern as you might think. So I want to suggest to you that we don't have so much of an overpopulation problem as an overconsumption problem. And the proof of that is that the richest 2 billion people on Earth consume more than the poorest 5 billion. We consume more metals, more fossil fuels, more resources, more land, more deforestation. So we are consuming more than our fair share. And there is something rather perverse in... Uh, I, I happen to have noticed that old post-reproductive white men in the Republican Party of America blaming poor Indian women for having six kids when having six kids is the only thing that those politicians haven't done and yet they conveniently pick that as the cause. Uh, no, overpopulation isn't the cause. However, when it comes to how many children should I have, um, ten children might not be so great for the planet. Um, but you, you will meet people, and this will increasingly happen, who will say, my wife and I or my husband and I or my partner and I are not having children for the planet. And I, I want to push against that. Uh, the future, future humans deserve to be brought into existence. You were brought into existence, and they are entitled to that too. So it's up to you those of you who are married, to try to have children and have two or three children for the sake of the future church and future humanity. Yeah, so, and I want to explore that a little bit further because it's come up in a few different questions, but, um, yeah, I still remember back in the Sunday school days and, and we were told that one of the very first commands that God gave to human beings is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so this was one of the, you know, the commissions that I had as a, as a human being. Um, but now we are hearing people say to be responsible, we should either have, you know, a zero population growth or, or a moderate. How do you balance those things? Because population growth at the moment is exponential. I mean, I think when I came into the world, there was 3 billion people and now there's 7 billion. So we're adding billions uh, within a lifetime. Do you, do you have a, have you thought about this? Do you have a position? Yeah. What's the number, right? What's the godly number of children to have? We know at least two, right? So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is, a, this is a complex topic. Let me, let me put a controversial idea to you. We actually have a fertility crisis. People aren't having children. The one-child policy in China worked too well. And because of contraception and pornography and individualism and the inconvenience of wiping nappies, people aren't having even replacement-level children. So I put it to those of you who are married, try to have two or three children. And that's one child for mum, one child for dad, and one child for everyone who can't have children. It's, it's a good number, two or three. Um, and... To, to be married, to be in a sexual union and to not have children is contrary to God's design. I believe he made us to either be single or to be married and try to have kids. Obviously, if there are fertility issues and you can't have children, then you're still obeying God. But um, surely sex tends toward breeding. 
and we can use contraception, but we probably shouldn't overuse it in um, deliberately avoiding from bringing forth the next generation of humans. Now, I want to, this might be too personal because, you know, your beautiful family is sitting right here, but given the picture that you presented for us and, and then, you know, you've chosen to bring children into this world, um, yeah, what, what sort of hope and, and sort of picture do you have for them? When you imagine them and their life and they're asking, you know, Dad, when I grow up one day, you know, what can I be? How do you present um, hope um, to them? I anticipate needing to teach things to Jemima and Bethany that no parent has ever needed to teach their child in all of human civilization. Uh, in, in the same way that Germans in 1935 were going to need to teach their children some truths that no one had ever taught because of the unprecedented nature of the Holocaust. We'll have to teach Jemima and Bethany to be content and to be brave uh, and to love others and to celebrate and mourn in a warming world that my parents didn't need to do for me and Emma's parents didn't need to do for her. But this is about uh, embracing the truth and teaching our children to love Jesus and love their neighbour in their context. Their context will be different from our context and so... The only thing that we can hold to is that when Emma and I die, Jesus will still be alive, and he'll still be in Bethany and Jemima's life after we're dead. And so we'll need them to trust him in their context moving forward and to teach their children to trust Jesus in their context. Now, there's a question up here about um, reversibility, because I think that's the way, part of the way we're raised. I mean, we, and part of our Christian faith is that we want to be able to repent, and then we actually want to be able to, to fix something. Um, so, as I said, later on, we want to talk about, you know, very practical things that we can do. But how fixable um, is the situation? Best case scenario. Yeah, um, unfortunately... It's not particularly fixable, but it is mitigatable. So we can make it less bad, but we probably can't undo the damage already done. When you burn a tonne of coal, you are taking ancient buried carbon that took millions of years to form, burning it, getting energy, using that energy for something like turning water into steam and turning a turbine and getting electricity. And then that carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere as a trace gas. It's extremely difficult to get out again, and it's extremely difficult to crush it again in any human time frame and turn it back into coal. The best way to make coal is to not burn it in the first place. The best, the, the best coal creation method is to leave it in the ground. But if we stopped burning coal, oil, and natural gas immediately, our civilization would collapse because we need it, and we need it to survive. So what we need is a transition a transition from a fossil fuel economy to a low-carbon economy. And that's what we've been talking about for the last 50 years, a transition. All of the fossil fuel companies are keen on a transition, but they want it to be excruciatingly slow. Because they are not paying for the full cost of their production and, um, uh, and their combustion, indeed, the fossil fuel industry is subsidised, which is an anti-capitalist position, um, to subsidise... We only subsidise necessities. They are so not a necessity anymore. 
indeed they're a, a damaging um, non-necessity. So we need to end subsidies and speed up that transition. Okay. So obviously your family, you've done some, some thinking about this, and there's a question about, about you know, low-carbon footprint um, sort of family, uh, low-carbon lifestyle. What are some things that you and your family try to do on a, on a daily basis um, to, to lessen need for fossil fuels? Um, we, we rent, so we don't own our house, but if we did, there'd be solar panels on the roof faster than you can say solar panels. I, I can assure you of that. Um, if, if we could afford to buy a new car, it would be electric. Um, and if you can't, and if, because we can't afford to buy a new car, we buy secondhand petrol only. We also only have one car, um, and I get to work on an electric bike. Uh, they're, they're fun, and they're extremely low carbon. Um, generally speaking, when it comes to low carbon options, low carbon means electricity, as in, when it comes to cooking, the most environmentally way of cooking is to use electricity not to burn anything. So if we're burning stuff, that's generally bad, um, even though gas is the cleanest thing to burn. The whole world needs to be electrified. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah, uh, eating less meat, um, buying less stuff that we don't need, and um, trying to foster a spirit of contentment and resisting consumerism in our life. Okay. I also hate single-use plastic, and I'm a big fan of steel um, water bottles. So that's a common present from me. Um, I'll buy you a steel water bottle and say, oh good, so I'll never see a plastic water bottle in your hands ever again. Uh, because if you live in a city with uh, fresh, clean tap water like we do, drinkable, healthy tap water is quite expensive to purify. It's subsidized by the government. And our tap water is cleaner than bottled water and it only costs a fraction of a cent a litre. It's madness to buy bottled water. Whenever you buy bottled water, you're supporting an industry that actively goes around the world campaigning against safe, clean tap water. So it's wrong. Uh, and that's one thing that you can just scrap from your life now, and that's bottled plastic water. Just drink tap water. Um, now, there's a question up there that um, involves a more scientific mind than mine. Um, I can't, I don't even understand it enough to ask it, but does anyone want to, um, to speak to the, uh, the CO2 um, question that's, that's on there? Or do you understand it well enough, Adam, to be able to answer it, the one at the top of the screen? I wouldn't say it is. Is there, a, is there something more to that? Uh, does it... Uh, okay. The ocean does absorb CO2, but when it absorbs CO2, it forms carbonic acid, and then it acidifies the water um, with the uh, dissolved CO2. Is not the ocean a great depository of CO2? Uh, yeah, it is. It absorbs CO2, um, but it can only absorb so much. Uh, it has been absorbing a lot of CO2 as we've been burning coal, oil, and natural gas. The ocean has been absorbing some of it from the atmosphere and it's, it's now 30% more acidic. The other thing that the ocean has been absorbing is an insane amount of heat. So as the globe has warmed, most of that extra heat goes into the oceans because it's a heat sink.
Are there other questions from the floor that you wanted to ask um, just to, to follow up? Because you can do that as well. It doesn't have to go on Padlet. Otherwise, we'll keep. Uh, lady, you want to just scroll from top to bottom again? Let me yeah, see. Can, can I see? Can I see the top? I thought I saw an interest. Um, should we all move to Mars? Yeah, I'd like to comment on that one. Mars sucks. Mars has no atmosphere, no water cycle, no biosphere, no rainbows, no rainforests, no tuna. Uh, it sucks. The core is frozen. If we spend tens of billions of dollars, it takes six months to get there in a space shuttle that would be the size of a four-wheel drive. At absolute best-case scenario is in 50 to 1,000 years, we might have a permanent colony there of an amazing 100,000 to a million people. Whoop-de-doo. We will never be able to replace Earth. God made Earth truly unique. There is no other alternative to Earth. We could also live in the cooler parts of the atmosphere of Venus. Again, it's crazy talk. The only place that we can truly live in any sustainable, meaningful way is here. Your home. So stuff Mars and stuff any of those dreams. We don't have the technology to get out of this greed, apathy, overconsumption mindset. We have to preserve the creation that God gave us. And I wanted to speak to that a little bit more because there was a question about, you know, building underground homes and stuff. And, and I want to say, in all seriousness, I was um, in the grocery store just in the last couple of weeks, and I ran into a guy that I haven't seen for a long time. And I started talking to him, and, he, and I said, what are you doing? And I looked down at his trolley, and I mean, he just had cans and cans of all the stuff. And he said, do you want me to be honest with you? And I said, yeah, tell me. He goes, I'm prepping. He goes, do you know what prepping is? And he went on to say that basically they have built an underground bunker, they're storing up food and all of this kind of stuff. They said, there's just, there's just so much craziness in the world and we just want to be ready. I wanted to get your sort of response to that because obviously whether you're talking about going to Mars or building a tunnel under the ground, these are things that people are actually thinking about. What's, What's your, your response? response? I, yeah, guess, I, 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 I guess I guess part of what I'm asking is, to me, there is a form of escapism um, in all of that, and I just wanted to know what your, your response is. So the, um, the doomsday prepper escapists, it is possible if you're a billionaire, but you're going to have to buy a completely self-sustaining fortress that can withstand nuclear-powered World War III. And that is beyond the capacity of 99.9% .9 of all human society. So the vast majority of doomsday preppers are wasting their time. Globalization has meant that we're all in this together. We need each other for food, we need each other for our clothing, we need each other for our transport and our resources, but we also need each other for peace. This is one of the, the beautiful things about the post-World War II global system, is that by integrating every nation into the world, world war became much uh, less beneficial for any one nation. Uh, and that's why, it's part of the reason why during the Cold War, no nuke was actually dropped. 
because the, um, America and her allies and the Soviet Union and her allies could look at each other and say, look, if you nuke us, we're going to nuke you and it will be mutually assured destruction or mad. Um, and that's one of the beauties of the globalized system, that it is resilient, but if it collapses, it will be worse. So it's like a giant ship that's less likely to sink, but if it does, it'll be devastating. You can't escape. You can't escape this system, and you certainly cannot escape it alone. So as society becomes more individualized, the parts of our society that will be the most resilient are the parts of our society that are community-minded, that are grounded in grace and contentment and peace and sharing and bravery. And we've got all of those tools in spades that many people in Australian society don't have. Uh, and I, I think in a perverse, sad way, the church will grow through this, but it will, it will grow in pain and in, and in poverty, and, and we need to be ready. And so you've already spoken to this, and, and this is the last question I want to ask us before I send um, some discussion questions out to our tables. But this is called salt, and we, we've been called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so you've, in that question, you've... Um, or in that answer that you've just given, you've given a picture of Christians who need to be, you know, not underground or on Mars, but they need to be out and about and, and interacting. Um, in, uh, I'm trying to think of the exact uh, title that you gave to your, to your talk, but in a, in a global warming world, um, where when I turn on the television, especially amongst the younger people, there, there is a great deal of, of fear and, and alarm. How... What are some ways that we can respond um, to the concern that, that, is, that is out there over this issue? Um, well, I think we, we need to acknowledge it. So eco-anxiety is real and growing. We have teenagers and children who are specifically um, uh, anxious about um, ecosystem collapse and these issues. And it's, it's part of the ageism system to dismiss them and go, oh, no, you're, you're silly. When you figure out that it's not that bad, you'll get over it. Um, but it actually is that bad. Um, so acknowledging their anxiety, but we, we teach children to be individuals. And I think we need to teach them to be more community-minded. Um, you can't solve all of your problems alone. I'm not saying don't teach them personal responsibility and, you know, having individual thoughts. But you, no one is an island and, and we need each other. Um, I don't know where else to go on, on that. There's, there's so many different points of intervention on a global problem. Um, so with such a multifaceted problem, there's so many ways that you can help. Um, and there are a lot of things that I haven't spoken about tonight. I just wanted to get to those core ideas of greed and apathy and racism and individualism and overconsumption um, and breaking that political tribal deadlock and then putting it over to you to figure out what to do with it. Okay. Well, thanks for that. The last thing that we wanted to do, we've got about 20 minutes left. It would just be good for you um, at your tables um, to talk about a response. Um, 
and there could be all kinds of responses. You know, one could just be some things that you or your family or whatever have been trying to do to just be more responsible in regard to the environment. Um, you might have some political responses that you think, wow, I've never really thought about the fact that my vote matters, and, and you might have some responses in that way. Or you might have some Christian responses, um, because I am a Christian and I have hope, here are some thoughts that I have. Spend some time talking about that at your tables, and if you can put those sort of comments as, as they come up, put them up, and then we'll finish off by just responding to a few of those things. But let's take oh, five to ten minutes just to, to chat about your response to tonight. To um, put your responses up, uh, we have things like riding bikes, uh, driving less, uh, becoming vegan. We didn't really talk about that. It's a whole other can of worms. Do you have a comment on the, uh, the meat and vegan impact of the world? Yeah, sure. Um, the animal agriculture industry, in terms of direct emissions of methane, indirect emissions of deforestation, and then the indirect uh, emissions of every tractor that drives around or the truck that transports meat. The thing about meat is 90% of our crops is not eaten by us. 90% of our crops, not eaten by us, it's eaten by the animals we eat. That's very inefficient. So most of the world's deforestation is caused by the animal agricultural industry. Uh, but because I believe humans are designed to eat meat and that it is necessary for our flourishing to eat meat, then I don't support vegans. Having said that, how much meat is healthy to eat is quite different from how much meat we are eating. Uh, so if we halved the amount of meat that we're eating, particularly from big animals, that would be healthier and better for the planet. The vegans are more right than we are. So a, a kind of, if you're a dumb omnivore where you just, if it's in front of you, you eat it. I see it, I eat it. The vegans are more right than you. And they're helping more than you are. So we've got to be intelligent about what we eat because God didn't just design us to eat whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. Um, that's not living in responsible dominion with the planet and ruling over the fish of the sea in a way that doesn't destroy them, for example. Very good. Another one that came up, we have a, didn't have a chance to post it, but because I have a wife who's in the, uh, the second-hand industry very largely, I mean, uh, this was a great education to me years ago, but um, the second-hand industry is an amazing thing. It's like a food chain. Like, there's people at the top of the second-hand industry that are making big, big money out of selling second-hand things because they're worth more than the non-second-hand things. But at the very bottom of the... There are people who drive around in tip trucks and will take scrap metal, they'll take broken toy... Like, they'll seriously take almost anything and they will make use of it. And it's been amazing to us. So sometimes when we got to the very bottom of the barrel of what we could sell in a shop, you call these guys up and they'll happily come and they'd flick you $30 and take all of the stuff away. I mean, there's a huge market of just recyclable stuff out there, yeah. Yeah, yeah there is, um, and I encourage reusing and recycling and not buying things in the first place. Um, but I just want to caution that attitude. 
the attitude of thrift and recycling and reusing doesn't challenge the system. So we have a system that's built on plastics and disposability and all of the businesses that are involved in making things uh, pollute. They pollute rivers, they pollute the air and everything that we have in this room that is made of toxic plastics will eventually end up disposed, even if it's reused. So, of course, reusing and recycling is a good thing, but it doesn't solve the root problem of us having unsustainable, an unsustainable materials economy. Um, yeah. Any other final comments, thoughts or ideas that you had out there for uh, responding to all of this, either spiritually, politically, practically? Can I have a quick flick through? Yeah, absolutely, the absolutely. Not a lot has gone up there. Um, someone at our table did comment, you know, that the simple thing of not, I mean, we've got the air conditioners cranked up to naught, but um, the, 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 the reducing of um, the amount of air conditioning time that you use. Um, we have our plumber friend went and advised us to, um, to put in an instant hot water heater. We got rid of our old mega gas hot water heater that was about 25 years old. And um, we haven't noticed any difference except for the fact that our bills have gone down 70%. You asked me for the figure, Michael? 70%. And I didn't realize that our old huge hot water heater was using up that much gas. If someone had told me that, I would have got rid of it ages ago. But simply putting in something that is designed not to burn so much gas was fantastic. And instead of paying a few hundred dollars every quarter, I'm paying like $50, $60 every quarter, which I also like. Um, I did see a few questions about politics and nuclear energy and being engaged. So I'll, I, I think I'd like to make some final comments about that. Do that. We live in a nation where the, the dominant attitude is... What, you, what we're encouraged to do is either... is to view politics as like a sport. And it's the red team and the blue team. There's the blue normal team, the liberals, and the red normal team, the labor, and everyone else is crazy. And we're encouraged to pick one of those teams. We are used to occasionally backing one of the crazy teams in, say, the Christian Democrats. But the, on the other side of the crazy teams are the Greens, which traditionally don't side well with the Christians. What are you going to do if the Greens are basically right about climate change? That's tricky, isn't it? But they basically are. And so to stand up and say, I disagree with the Greens on their policies of same-sex marriage, abortion, um, uh, uh, religious freedom in schools, but they're dead right on climate change and I really want to follow their policies on that, is nuance that this debate needs. We need a carbon tax. Uh, we need to switch to solar and wind and batteries. The amount of pollution that goes into producing solar panels is nothing compared with the amount of pollution that's caused by burning two tonnes of coal a second. Nuclear is a red herring. It costs billions of dollars to build a nuclear power station. I've got a theory, I can't prove it, but you know who wins every time someone promotes nuclear? Coal. Because it's never going to happen. It takes too long to build and it's too expensive. So when 
people who would normally support the coal industry support building nuclear power stations, I'm suspicious. If you've already built a nuclear power station, sure, use it, because it's low carbon. All it produces is water vapour, and that's only a temporary greenhouse gas. But yeah, building new nuclear is probably off the table for Australia, because it's too expensive. Um, yeah, and that puts us in an awkward position uh, in terms of politics. Uh, the, the other awkward thing is that the most important thing that we need to do as a global society is to, s to stop opening new coal mines. So when we've got a problem, then making the problem worse is the first thing to not to do. And the biggest not yet opened but soon will be opened coal mine on Earth is in Queensland. And no bank on Earth thinks it's a good idea. Even the Bank of China, and they normally don't give a stuff about ethical considerations, they've announced that it's a bad idea. It's the Adani Carmichael coal mine. And there's only one institution on Earth who thinks it's a good idea, and that's the Australian government. And they're our representatives. And in, on some level, they listen to us. So we do need to engage in politics. And it's awkward because on this issue, the Greens are making sense to me. And what you do with that, I hit over to you. Well, thank, thank you, you very much, much Adam. Adam. And I just, I just wanted, wanted to um, finish off by saying, a um, few weeks back when I spoke to Adam on the phone, he said, look, I'm going to, if you ask me to come and speak, I'm going to shake people up a little bit. I'm not just going to say, well, we should all be doing a little bit better. I'm going to say some things um, that might alarm people, but I, I want to give people hope and I want to give them a response. And, uh, you know, one of the reflections I've had is that when when I read through the Bible, I can imagine, you know, the world ending through a war. We're used to that kind of thinking, and I can imagine financial collapse because we've all gotten used to that sort of thinking. It's actually only been in recent times that I've thought about the environment sort of kicking back at us. And you mentioned Romans 8, you know, the, the creation is groaning under the strain of, of the curse and, and our sin. So I really want to thank you um, for challenging us. Um, I hope that that wasn't too depressing and discouraging. I hope it didn't lead us to despair. I hope it will prompt some some thinking and individually, and I think as a church, we need to be thinking about how we respond politically and spiritually and, and personally. So I want to thank you very much for, for coming and challenging us. Let's give Adam a big hand. Yeah.